All right, good evening, everybody. If you want to turn your Bibles to Genesis, right? Yeah. It's easier when we're in the Old and New Testament. When we're both Wednesdays and Sundays in the Old Testament, I get a little squirrely sometimes. We'll do 20 and 21 this evening. One of the scriptures I wanted to start off with tonight was in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. Because as uh, Aaron was praying, help it, the Bible study to affect us, I think this one will. I mean, not that the others didn't, don't get me wrong, but um, it affected me, um, and I've been doing this a while, in such a way that I'm amazed at the grace. It sounds so cliche. In Christianity, we've got forgiveness, grace, mercy. We got some words that get lost after a while, you know, you know, and, and I try not to do that in my own life. So I mix things up and I change the wording around it, but there's so much grace by God given to Abraham and Sarah in chapters 20 and 21 of Genesis that I can't help but think of this verse. Um, and I'll read from the new living translation since we're doing new King James tonight. It says this, Rather, you must grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, all glory to him both now and forever. Amen. Peter's concern was that if you're going to grow in anything, of course, grow in your knowledge of Jesus. But in the knowledge of Jesus in growing in the knowledge of Jesus, you should be growing in grace. You should be growing in grace. We should be growing in grace. And grace is unmerited favor. That's uh, uh, my favoritism giving to someone else because they didn't earn it or whether they earned it or not. I just give them favor. Um, I don't show special favoritism to some versus others. Um, There's just grace. And grace is really uh, brought out or stark uh, in your life as a contrast when it's given to somebody who your people are really surprised you gave it to them. And even you're really surprised you gave them grace, you see. So the, the more they don't deserve it, the more this grace looks amazing. Um, and, and, and that's how it is. So as we go through this, Genesis 20, it's just, I mean, the calling on Abraham's life, considering he's called the father of our faith, um, he's going to give birth to, or he's not, but his wife's going to give birth to Isaac. And this is the lineage of Jesus. This is the beginning of a relation. You know, there's just so much going on here with this guy. Chapters 20 and 21 are they're just surprising. He just got off uh, talking to God and talking God out of, he thought, out of destroying the entire inhabitants of this valley of Sodom and Gomorrah. And he says, you know, if there's, if there's just 10, you know, and God says, yeah, if you can find 10, of course they couldn't, they can only find eight. <laughs> and even then it was sketchy, you know, as where those eight should have gotten out of there or not. Um, and so the, the place has been destroyed and we saw fire and brimstone being brought down upon this nation and this group of people that um, just were not interested in walking with the Lord, not interested in what he had for them, living after their own pleasures, living after the flesh. And, and so probably a pretty sobering moment as Abraham was left last week looking over this valley of smoke rising up like a furnace, seeing the very power of God being brought down on this group of people. I don't know how many were there. Nobody really knows. And his wife, you know, his nephew's wife 
is now a pillar of salt, and Lot is now back up here with him, still cowering with his tail between his legs, saying that was a little too close for comfort. He goes and does this. Verse 1, And Abraham journeyed from there to the south and dwelt between Kadesh and Shur and stayed in Gerar. Now Abraham said of Sarah his wife, She is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. I mean, didn't we already cover this with Egypt? As they went to, of course we did. They went to Egypt and Abraham, Abram at the time, now he's got his name changed by God to Abraham, but Abram at the time went down and said, Sarai, my wife is really my sister, but didn't mention the wife part. And he got, she got brought into the harem and his thought process was at the time, I thought you would kill me because she's so beautiful that you'd want her for yourself and I'm in the way, so take me out. And so to preserve my wife, I spoke with her, or preserve my life, I spoke with my wife. You mind saying you're my sister? She says, no, I don't care. At first I defended Sarah, you know, back then and said, you know, she probably was like, well, I'm going to be obedient to my husband. And, you know, he wants me to call him uh, his sister. I guess that's what I'll have to do. You know, and everybody's like, poor Sarah. We're going to see a change here tonight in our opinion here. Could you say she's my sister? She's my sister. Yeah, great. Guys, she's 90. I'm just throwing that out there. I mean, she must have been one good-looking lady. To be at 90 years old, her husband is like, you got to say you're my sister because they'll kill me. You're so good-looking. They'll take me out at 90. And you think I'm... Because that's how this plays out the entire time. I mean, there's more confirmation of that. It's about her looks. Congratulations, Sarah. I mean... I mean, in the desert, imagine her skin regiment back then. You guys, I got a couple daughters, no offense, but what we put on last yesterday or two days ago, was it a 24-karat gold uh, mask of some kind? And Sorry. So their price just went up, you know. There she is. Say you're my sister. Okay, and he took her, and he was right. I mean, she was so good looking that they knew, and it happened. But God came to Abimelech, he's the king here, who thinks that Sarah is Abraham's sister, came in a dream by night and said to him, Indeed, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. But Abimelech had not come near her, and he said, Lord, will you slay a righteous nation also? Did he not say to me, she is my sister? And she even, she herself said, he is my brother. She confirmed it. In the integrity of my heart and innocence of my hands, I have done this. That's not fair. This is an unbeliever who's just been confronted by the true and living God, probably the first time he's ever had a conversation with a God ever because he worships all the other fake gods, right? So as far as he's concerned, religion is kind of bunk, but he goes to the wooden idols and the stone idols and does what he's supposed to do. But now he's got a dream, and God says, you've got a man's wife, you're dead. You're a dead man. That's how God puts it. Gals, God is on your side, and he is your protector, even when we're not. 
Please trust him more through this passage tonight. I hope you do. He says, I'm innocent. And God said to him in a dream, yeah. No, he doesn't say that. Yes, I know that you did this in the integrity of your heart. For I also withheld you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. We'll elaborate on that in a little bit. Now, therefore, restore the man's wife. For he is a prophet and he will pray for you and you shall live. But if you do not restore her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. That's the grace I was talking about. How does God describe Abraham? Not, he's a knucklehead and does this, and I've always got to watch out for him. So I understand he's played you here, but let her go. No, he says, you better let her go, and you better give him back, give her back to him, because he's a prophet and he will pray for you and you shall live. In other words, I'm waiting for him to pray for you to let you live. God's relationship with Abraham hasn't changed. And so you got to wonder what's happening here. And I think it is, it is discovered as we go through these chapters that God is very much concerned with protecting his word, protecting his name, protecting his plan, protecting him. Abraham happens to be a casualty of God's protection. In other words, it's collateral protection, collateral grace. It's no matter what this knucklehead does, and this is a bonehead move, God is going to protect him because he still needs his plan to go through. Now, don't call him a bonehead. He's Abraham. No, I take great solace in this, knowing that this bonehead who makes bonehead moves all the time. I need to understand that in humility that oftentimes I am the recipient of collateral grace. It's because I'm in God's plan. It's because God's using me or decided to use me or wants to do something somewhere along the line with my kids or somebody else that he's going to protect me from even moves like this. Now, I don't think I'll do this to Jenny. It actually kind of makes me feel pretty good about how I've treated my wife so far. Like, I'm looking pretty good compared to Abraham, and he's the father of faith. Now, that's pride, but it does help a little bit. It helps me with my walk. It helps me with my understanding of how he sees me, an understanding of his sovereignty, his, his royalty. He actually tells this king, I know you did. I understand that but you're still a dead man. You still need to restore her. He's a prophet. He'll pray for you and you'll live. But if you don't, you and all yours are dead. So Abimelech arose early in the morning, called all his servants and told all these things that were in, in all these things in their hearing. And the men were very much afraid. Why just the men? There's a lot of things going on here. There's a reason that he couldn't touch Sarah. He was physically touched by God so that he physically couldn't touch Sarah. All the women in the country have become barren since they've showed up. And all the men have become barren. That's the best way to put it also. No one's doing nothing as long as these guys are here. And everybody's talking about it. What in the world's going on? And maybe he prayed that night. I don't know what God to pray to, but what is going on with my nation? I'll tell you what's going on. You've got another man's wife and ain't nothing going to change until you restore her, and he'll pray for you, and everything will go back to normal again. 
I didn't know. I know you didn't know, but until this happens, I'm still stepping in. And thank you, God, for doing that for all of us. He steps in. Now, this is an unbeliever. This is someone that you'd hope to bring into the knowledge of God through your testimony. And when we blow our testimony, it is a big deal. It is a big deal. We don't want to blow our testimony. Abraham's going to get rebuked right now by this unbeliever, which is an embarrassment. And we should never be rebuked by unbelievers because of our fleshiness. And yet in the story, we see them coming in contact with the true and living God. And they all know he's real. Regardless of Abraham's failure here. So when you fail, and I fail, in my walk with Jesus Christ, please understand that you can get up and continue to represent. You can continue to walk with the Lord. You can continue to do the best you can. Paul discusses this in Romans chapter 7. It's a long read. I'll read it to you. Um, I don't want to read the whole chapter. We're going to start in verse 21. And this is the chapter before the Holy Spirit in chapter 8. But he does, he does identify this struggle. Paul writing to the Romans says, I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. So I find there's just an absolute truth here that no matter how much I will to do good, it seems that evil is the core. We need to know that as Christians. I think we get confused that we think we start off with basically everybody's good and that we do evil things once in a while, when it's the exact opposite. Our core nature is a sinful nature. We start there. And then God comes in and tells us because of that core nature, because of that sin nature that you have, I've sent my son to die because there is no way you can compensate that. There's no good you can do to outweigh the core sin nature. Humanists will tell us that there's a core good, and we just need to restrain the evil. But Paul says here, I find a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, Who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank the Lord through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. We are in a war. We're in a battle. We're constantly fighting that sin, that sin nature within us that wants to bring that out, wants to be dominant in our lives. Some of us are surprised as we walk on with the Lord and we become better and better at being obedient to God. We're surprised at our sin. Others are surprised at their obedience. That's how it starts. You receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. You're surprised at some of the things that come out of your mouth now that I used to say these things towards people, but now I'm showing grace and mercy. Where'd that come from? Well, that's the Lord living through you, and that's exciting. And as you walk with the Lord and are obedient to him more and more, those things come out more, and the sin comes out less and less. And then you're surprised at the disobedience in your life. That's a good transition. But please understand that core. Abraham's gone through so much, but when he's afraid and fears our enemy, he brings us into this place. 
When we fall into fear, we go back to what we are used to, what we know, and that is sin. Protection. He just watched God wipe out an entire valley, but not him. We also know that Abraham knows that God's promised him a child that hasn't come yet. Abraham's already believed him, meaning there's no way I can go down to Gerar or this place and this king can't kill me because I haven't had the kid yet that I believe God's going to provide for me. And yet even knowing all of that, he decides to still come up with a tricky little plan to tell his wife, to tell them that he's his sister so that he doesn't die because if I die, what's going to happen to you? And if you die or I die or whatever, no, there's no kids. God's plan though is bigger than Abraham's fear. He says, if anything happens to Sarah down here, if she does have physical contact with any of these people, nobody's ever going to believe that the child that I give to Abraham is of me. There's always going to be doubt. Is it really Abraham's kid or is it somebody from Gerar? And I need that pure, God says. And so despite this little plan you've got going on, despite your fear, you're not walking in faith right now, I'm going to protect you. And he does. It's a lot of grace here given by God. He doesn't say, I'm going to wipe you out and start with somebody else. He says, no, I'm going to still do what I told you I was going to do with you. That encourages me because we have a promise, every Christian here tonight, that God is going to be faithful to complete the work that he's begun in you. I've got God's word on that. And so tomorrow, maybe when I don't do so well, or Friday when I don't do so well, or Saturday when I completely freak out and live in fear and I don't walk by faith or whatever, I still have that promise to hold on to. I don't have to worry about that. God says, I'm going to keep my word. And my word is I'm going to complete that work that I've begun in you. I can be encouraged. And it brings me back to faith. God's word, his promises in my life, bring me back to faith out of that fear. When you find yourself in fear, seems to be a big thing now, writing books about fear, all these things. When you find yourself in that fear, start remembering the promises of God. It pulls you out of that fear and back into faith. It's just, it's just something you got to do. You've got to decide to do that. So Abimelech hears from God that he needs to restore the wife. So he wakes up early in the morning, tells all the guys, you wouldn't believe what I had, a crazy dream. God told me this, and they were very much afraid. And Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, what have you done to us? How have I offended you that you have brought on me and on my kingdom a great sin? You've done deeds to me that ought not to be done. And Abimelech said to Abraham, what did you have in view that you have done this thing. Let me translate that. What were you thinking? Is what we would say today. You go, I, I want to know why. Why didn't you just come down and say she was your wife? You know? So Abraham gives his excuse. And Abraham said, because I thought surely the fear of God is not in this place. You don't know my God. And they will kill me on account of my wife. But indeed, she is truly my sister. And we'll talk about that in a minute. She is the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother, which is true. So kind of weird. And she became my wife. And it came to pass when God caused me to wander from my father's house that I said to her, this is your kindness that you should do for me in every place where we go. Say of me, he is my brother. This is a thing we just do. (laughs) 
it, I, I, it, again, I got to see a movie of this, but I could just see Abimelech going, are you kidding me? This is what you do? You go from town to town telling everybody that he's your sister? Why don't you just try trusting this great God that just caused our entire nation to not have intercourse for as long as you were here and see if he won't defend you? What are you worried about? They have more fear of God and trust in his ability to protect these two than Abraham and Sarah do. The world is telling him that he's doing something wrong, and that's an embarrassment. Now, she is truly his sister, and what he said was right. If you go through the genealogy, and we don't know why that's okay now, but it won't be okay later on when the law is given. The the gene pool is so pure that it's okay to be um, step, um, but it isn't anymore, just in case you were wondering. He lays it out for him and says, no, no, after first cousins maybe, but first cousins and on closer is no good. Um, But so he looks for a technicality is the point. Regardless of how we feel about it, he says, uh, uh, she is my sister. I mean, I told you a half truth. No, 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 no. She's your wife. You know, that's how you, that's how you lead off next time, Abraham. When you come into another kingdom, you say, this is my wife who happens to be my stepsister or half sister. You don't start off with, she's my sister and then stop and trail off and mumble the rest of it. You say it. So this is an agreement we had from the beginning that he would say, that she would say, uh, that, that she, okay. So then there's Abimelech. He gets sarcastic here. Then Abimelech took sheep, oxen, male and female servants, and gave them to Abraham. This, this guy's coming out ahead again. This is exactly what happened in Egypt. He comes out again with more stuff. And he restored Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, see, My land is before you. Dwell where it pleases you. Then to Sarah, he said, Behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. Indeed, this vindicates you before all who were with you and before everybody. Thus she was rebuked. So it's just like what you sound. Hey, I gave your brother some cattle. So we ought to be okay now, right? And that was a rebuke. He was rebuking her. Don't do that to us. Now, I, may, I, may, I, I, I have had fun with him tonight. The convicting part for me, though, is that how many half-truths have I told people on an airplane when I'm sitting next to them and they ask me what I do for a living? Well, you told them you're a pastor, right? Then you told them all about Jesus all the way there. Sometimes I like to just sit down and be quiet and alone. I love Jesus and I want everybody to know about Jesus, but sometimes on a plane, I've got plans, I've got things I've got to think about, and I don't necessarily want to talk to the stranger about Jesus next to me for the next year or have them look at me funny for the next hour and a half to three hours or however long or stare at me and say, you know, what about Jesus? I don't want to answer all the atheist questions. Sometimes I say, I'm a teacher. That's as bad as saying what he just did. What do you do for a living? Oh, I teach. Oh, teaching. That's a noble perception. And that's the end of it. I didn't tell you what I taught. I teach the Bible, but. 
And to be fair to myself, that's actually a much better segue into the conversation when you say, if it goes further, I'm a teacher. Oh, what do you teach? I teach the Bible. It's better than saying, I'm that holy guy who looks down on everybody every Sunday and Wednesday evening, because that's how some unbelievers hear it. So you start off with, I'm a teacher, and they say, what do you teach? I teach the Bible. Oh, so I can probably ask you any question. Yeah, you probably can. You could. Or you could put your earphones on or one, you know, <laughs> and we can sit here like normal people and ignore each other for two and a half hours, but I'm hard on myself. No, I don't mind talking to people about it, but I want it. I want an open door. I don't want an ob- obligatory conversation. So all that being said, we can say half truths at work. We can say half truths to our relatives. We can get tough questions and give half answers because we know that the full strength answer. And believe me, Christianity in its purest form is a dark cup of coffee. It is a strong cup of coffee to give to somebody. And a lot of people can't handle it. That's probably a great way to look at Christianity in America. You've got some that have a latte with a little tiny espresso in it, and that's their Christianity, mostly sweet, mostly cream. And then you got those hardcore folks that just drink, you know, shove some coffee grounds in their mouth and suck on them throughout the day. You got those Christians too. And somewhere in the middle is all of us, I would think. We can give people half answers because we're not so sure how they're going to take the full strength answer. And some days we're not open to, or we're tired, or for whatever reason. For the most part, Abraham tells everybody he lives with about the Lord. He walks with the Lord. He's got 300 hired hands that can go to battle with him, not including their families. They all know the Lord. They've all been circumcised. For the most part, he's a very obedient man. But he goes down to these unbelieving countries, and you know what? She's my sister. So it's a little convicting sometimes to read stuff like this. So Abraham prayed to God. And God healed Abimelech from what? Bible's kind of silent on it, but we got to get the picture, don't we? Healed him, healed his wife and his female servants. Then they bore children. For the Lord had closed up all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. Chapter 21. We'll go quickly here. Then the Lord visited Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did for Sarah as he had spoken. For Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, at the set time of which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah had bore to him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac uh, when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Now Abraham was 100 years old when he bore or when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made me laugh. And all who hear will laugh with me. She also said, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? For I have borne him a son in this old age. It's a different kind of laughter than before. The laughter before was mocking uh, in disbelief. This kind of laughter is just absolute pure joy. Who would have thought? She's probably sitting there nursing her little boy going, What in the world? I'm 90, you know, 90 plus at this time. Who would have thought it? Here we are. So very wonderful time and and, and a beautiful fulfillment of God's plan. And he lets them enjoy this beautiful time, despite that last story we just heard, which was crazy. 
It's so out of character for him. This is so unusual. We've got this great battle. Goes in, all these things, all these chapters. Abraham, Abraham, Abraham. And then we read that. What are you doing? And then back to 21, back on track. I love that. We throw each other as Christians under the bus way too fast. We throw pastors under the bus. We throw church leaders under the bus. We throw these Christians under the bus. He did what? Let's go over chapter 20 of Genesis again. Was what they did anything comparable to this? You know, we got to be really careful about that. God is working out a plan. He's unfolding things. And I'm not saying we should condone sin. We best be willing to give out as much grace, forgiveness, and mercy as God is giving out and showing us. We've got to. We're not going to have anybody. We're not going to be able to have church. None of us should be here. I, I hear that sometimes. Did, did you get that? Did you read that? Did you see what happened to them? Yeah. Did you want me to tell everybody about our last counseling session? I can. We can just tag that right along with this gossip that you're sharing about this person. I don't, I don't have a problem with that. Well, no, that's my, it's amazing what sin looks like on somebody else compared to what we struggle with. Well, that's me. And that's between you and me, right? Of course it is. But let's keep all of it. Love covers a multitude of sin, he's telling the church. Love covers a multitude of sin. That means we're not excited when our brother and sister fail. We're not excited to share it. It doesn't make me feel better. It doesn't make me look better. It makes me want to pray. It makes me want to give out mercy. It makes me want to come alongside of them and say, dude, I know. Believe me, I know. There's so much grace and mercy here. They're having this baby that they mocked God before, but God gives it to them anyway and is enjoying the moment just as much as they are. Verse 8, So the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the same day that Isaac was weaned. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian woman, or the Egyptian, whom she had born to Abraham. Remember, she was given to Abraham from the last fiasco by the Egyptian Pharaoh and ends up having this child and so on. And it's not the promised child. And we've gone over that already. And there they are at the weaning. And this 13-year-old boy is feeling a little jealous. And seeing this little boy get all the attention because he's weaned. Oh, the promised one. There's the promised child. Here's the child of promise. And she overhears it. Now, she's never been a fan of Hagar, but Hagar's been a little prideful about this child and was brought back in and allowed to come back into the house after she was kicked out before for being a little too proud. And there's her son doing that and probably shouldn't. And so therefore she said to Abraham, cast out this bondwoman and her son for the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, namely with Isaac. And the matter was very displeasing to Abraham's uh, in Abraham's sight because of his son. Well, Abraham, you, you kind of made this baggage. This is a bed. It's your bed. You got to lie in it, buddy. I mean, I know you feel bad for your son. Why can't these ladies, why can't my wives get along? Let's say that slowly again, Abraham, you know. Sometimes some of the things we've done in the flesh that we so desperately want to live in the sight of God instead of letting it go, 
I mean, this spiritually speaking, I know these are real people and there's real feelings here and there's real tragedy about to happen here. I understand that. But Paul uses this as a spiritual example of the law versus the child of faith. Someone who follows the law thinking they're going to get into heaven and they're cast out. The woman is cast out. Anybody who tries to follow the law to get into heaven is cast out. That's not how you get there. It's got to be by faith. That's the only way in. So we understand that he uses this. So let me use that. We've got a lot of things that were born in the flesh in our lives that we think need to keep living in God's sight. And God's like, no, that needs to be cast out of your life. That needs to be gone. We need this new life of faith. But that old life of the flesh, that needs to go. It needs to be cast out. That was your, that was where I didn't do anything. That's what God's going to tell him. I, I'm going to take care of your son, but really we need to focus on Isaac. My plan is still in force here. It's through Isaac, not through your other boy. So he's upset. I don't want to kick him out. I don't want to kick her out. This is my son. I know he's not your son, but he's mine. But God said to Abraham, do not let it, displease, let it be displeasing in your sight because of the latter, because of your bondwoman. Whatever Sarah has said to you, listen to her voice. For in Isaac, your seed shall be called. Yet I will also make a nation of the son of the bondwoman because he is your seed. I already told you I was going to take care of him. Listen to what Sarah has to say and do it. Go ahead and follow through. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and put it on her shoulder. This is Hagar and his son. He gave it to the to, gave it and the boy to Hagar and sent her away. Then she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. And the water in the skin was used up, and she placed the boy under one of the shrubs. Then she went and sat down across from him at a distance of about a bow shot, for she said to herself, let me not see the death of the boy. So she sat opposite him and lifted her voice and wept. It's horrible. My, I understand who she is. I understand who he is and what's going to happen here. But these are just two people that just got cast out of their house with some food and some water and they're gone. And they've come to a place where they're at the end and she's like, well, and she, so she has to carry it down. He's not a little baby. Sometimes you get the idea from movies or coloring pages or something. This is some little baby. She's sitting underneath a bush and she, no, he's 13. He's 13 to the point where he can't even walk over there by himself. So she lays him down over there dehydrated and she steps away. She says, I don't want, and, and I, every mother here can get that. I mean, probably wouldn't do that. Probably want to cradle him or whatever, but there's just, we all feel it. I think. That's not, the, that's not the real picture. That story is horrible. If, this, if, if all that was written was true right here, it would be horrible. But I want you to read carefully these next few verses from God. Where has the water run out? How far have they gotten? What's God trying to do here? He's trying to make this little boy, this 13-year-old, into a nation. This woman needs to have a faith in the God who's going to make this little boy a nation. They need to get Abraham and Sarah and all that garbage out of their minds, and they need to get their eyes fixed on him. And so he's brought them to a place where there's nothing, or so they think. And God heard the voice of the lad. Then the angel of God called to Hagar out of heaven and said to her, What ails you, Hagar? Fear not. For God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. Arise, lift up the lad and hold him with your hand, for I will make him a great nation. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. 
That's been there the whole time. He didn't say, and God magically developed the well of water there. Their water ran out at just the right place where there's a well of water, but her eyes were closed. She couldn't see it. She was unaware that there's a well there. Don't you think you'd have been looking around for water, an oasis of something, a pool of something, there's a well? She's so blinded by her whatever, unbelief, grief, trauma from being kicked out of the house, whatever. Eyes aren't open, can't see it. But it's been there the whole time. Sometimes that's all we need to pray. When you find yourself in that absolute stuck place, I have no idea what God's doing here. I'm absolutely hopeless. What is God doing with my life? Why is it happening like this? What is Pray this, God, would you open my eyes to see what answer you have for me right here in front of me that I'm not seeing? There's got to be a solution, and I'm just not seeing it. Have enough faith in your Father in heaven who loves you. He may have dropped you off right where you need to be, but you can't see it because you're so full of unbelief. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen. Hold on. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I'm talking about my God here. God, show me. What am I not seeing here? Where's the solution? I'll wait. That's all it takes is a prayer. God, I trust you completely. Of course, you're not going to leave me to die here. Of course, you've made promises for me. Of course, this isn't the end. I'm being dramatic. Show me the answer, God, and I'll wait. The angel says, what ails you? Because from the heavenly perspective, they're seeing her, the dry wineskin, the boy, and the well. What are you upset at? We're going to die. You could go to the well. From their perspective, it's so easy. From ours, it isn't. Maybe it was behind a shrub. Maybe it was just out of view. Nobody took the time to walk around. I don't know what it was, but as Christians, we best get to that place where we finally trust God with our lives, with his plan for our lives. And we look at him and say, you know what? I don't know why you brought me here. But from what I read in your word, this is all part of some really cool plan. So with a smile on my face and with hope in my heart and faith in my, in my God, what's next? It's got to be something next, and I'll wait. Trust him. we got to trust him. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw the well of water, and she went and filled the skin with water, gave it to the lad to drink. So God was with the lad, and he grew and dwelt in the wilderness and became an archer. He dwelt in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother uh, took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. And it came to pass at that time that Abimelech and, um, I'll say, not fickle, that'd be terrible, but um, Picol, uh, the commander of his army spoke to Abraham saying, God is with you in all that you do. Now, therefore, swear to me by God that you will not deal falsely with me with my offspring or with my uh, posterity, but that according to your kindness that I have done to you, you will do to me and to the land in which you have dwelt. Now, this is that same guy, you know, and so he's come to him and say, you know, I can see that God is with you and all that you do. Please, let's make a deal together. Now, what happened to these other two? So they just, that's it. God doesn't follow all the genealogies. We're still on track now. Abraham kicked her out. There they are. They got some trouble. They got a relationship with God. We're done with them. And we're moving back to Isaac now. Remember, this is all leading up to Jesus Christ. The volume of the book is written of him. It's written of Jesus. So we're back on track. That's why, and there's what happens. He became an archer and became a great nation. Done. Verse 
Now, back to the story. God is with you. Make a deal. And so Abraham said, I will swear. Then Abraham rebuked Abimelech because of the well of water which Abimelech's servants had seized. And Abimelech said, I do not know who has done this thing. You did not tell me, nor had I heard of it until today. So God comes up to him and says, you make a deal with me. I can see everything you do is God. God is with you in everything that you do. It's evident to us. So make a deal, please. I don't want to battle you. I don't want to be in war with you. He goes, okay, I'll swear. But let's deal with this well thing over here in quadrant seven. You know, your guys stole the well. I didn't know anything about it, man. It's the first time I'm hearing about it. So Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech. And two of them, uh, with two of them, he made a covenant. And Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock by themselves. And Abimelech asked Abraham, what is the meaning of the seven ewe lambs which you have set by themselves? I get this, but what are these for? And he said, you will take these seven ewe lambs from my hand that they may be my witness that I have dug this well. Therefore, he called that place Beersheba because the two of them had sworn an oath there. Thus, they made a covenant at Beersheba. So Abimelech rose with um, Pichol, sounds French now, the commander of his army, and they returned to the land of the Philistines. Then Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba, and there called on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham stayed in the land of the Philistines many days. That's where we close tonight. Um, Hopefully you were encouraged. Um, God's got a plan for us. He does. And we're going to go through seasons. Every one of us are. Some of you are on the top of your game. This is great. I mean, I got a job, I'm making money, you know, um, things are going well for us. Others, you didn't. You came in here today saying, what in the world is going on with my marriage? What in the world are going on with my kids? What in the world's going on with my job? Whatever it may be, just take this and whatever God's shown you tonight, just pray, talk to him about it. Say, God, this is really interesting, but maybe I'm not seeing what I'm supposed to be seeing right now. Would you open my eyes to see everything you have right here for me? What's the next step here? You know, and then please wait for him to answer that prayer. Don't give him a time limit. Don't give him a deadline or whatever. I need to know by noon tomorrow or whatever. Just say, God, would you show me what it is? And then rest in that faith of yours that you have in your living God and let him bring that answer. And when he brings that answer, I guarantee you, you'll be closer to him than you ever have been before you really heard my prayer and you answered it. That's going to be far more important than the actual answer he gives you, to be honest with you. My goodness, I prayed that. Nobody knew I prayed that. And then I got the answer. I got a dialogue going on with the creator of the universe. This is amazing. That's all he wants from us. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you love us, that you love these two. You loved Hagar. You loved her boy. You loved Abraham's boy. You love them both. You love all of us, God. We're so thankful for that. You'll take care of us. Lord, help us to trust you more. Help us to not fall into that fear. But if we do fall into fear, God, help us to pull ourselves out of it in the sense that we just start relying on you and trusting in you and reading your word and your promises to us. We might come out of that and back into faith again. Forgive us for our unbelief. Help our unbelief. We believe. We love you. We know who you are. We know how much you care for us. Your word tells us that. Lord, help us to experience that more and more in our lives so that when people come to ask us questions about what we believe and why we believe, it's not, it's not textbook necessarily. Although we do want to give them your word, we also want to give them that we've encountered you. 
that we've experienced you, that we live this. That's absolutely true because this has happened in our lives. Your word isn't just on paper. It's being lived out in us. We can give an example. and We can share with them our story with you. Thank you for sharing Abraham's story with us. So honest in his relationship with you. As much fun as we had with him tonight, God, we know, we know he is a father of faith. He is an amazing man. But he's amazing because he loved you, because he trusted in you. Help us to have that same kind of story, Lord. Failures, yeah, but a lot of walking by faith. A lot of good stories to share with those around us and with our kids. We love you. Bless these guys as they go tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.